When it comes to hunting boots, how many pairs does one man need? Well, how many seasons are there? Turkey season? Deer season? Duck season? Dove season? Honey, how many pairs of boots does one man need? At least one more pair. For just about everything for hunting, go to MidwayUSA.com. I'm Larry Potterfield with Midway USA. Thanks for your business. Hunting is not easy. It never has been. It takes dedication, motivation, a lot of patience, and quality gear. If you manage a food plot, put up stands, or need just one more game camera, we can help at MidwayUSA.com. We opened our doors in 1977 and continue to put customers first by offering super fast, same-day shipping. For just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Hey, I just got back from lunch. Did you finish that report yet? Uh, well, not exactly. I'm still working on it. I'm not finished just yet. Uh, I got a little sidetracked, but I will get them to you first thing this afternoon. <laughs> it is first thing this afternoon. Well, yeah, I, I understand that, but I mean, I, I am working on it. But I'll, I'll have, what uh, do you mean that the report isn't finished yet? I'm, I'm still in the process of working on it. I've just been a little distracted. T- distracted? Our meeting starts in an hour. Have you, you no no. What were you doing? Were you listening to another hunting podcast again? I swear, I give the staff in this office the freedom to do whatever they want to do as long as they meet a deadline. That is the first bullet underneath your job description. Pays attention to detail and deadline and deadline. Dude, are you even listening to me right now? Welcome back, everyone. This is episode 68 of the Whitetail Distraction Podcast. You're not used to hearing my voice saying that, but Austin is not here with me today. I'm actually in my back room of my house just recording this little intro to put in front of the episode that we recorded, which we recorded an amazing episode here with Taylor Chamberlain. This guy is just... An unbelievable wealth of knowledge and fun stories. I can't wait to get this episode out to you guys. Just a little update. I know this has been done for a while. I've been sitting on this episode. Uh, We apologize. That's the best I can say is we're just sorry. We don't want to give up on this podcast, obviously. We have probably three or four more episodes already recorded, ready to go. But it's deer season, so you got to give us a little bit of a break there, I guess. It is the Whitetail Distraction Podcast for a reason. And we've been nothing less than distracted by whitetails so far, chasing them probably more than the two of us ever have uh, with full-time jobs, I should add. But it's been fun. It's been a good good season so far. We hope to get the update out to all of you really soon and get some uh, podcasts up and running with some more guests and people around us that really got it done this year. I know a few people in particular, my brother Joe, who shot... An absolute slammer of a buck here in PA. Just a great deer. An absolute great deer. Uh, Once in a lifetime deer, possibly. Uh, But, you know, you never know here in Pennsylvania. Uh, My buddy Brian Tanner just shot a really nice buck. Congratulations to him. The guys over at PA Bowhunting, they both dropped bucks. Uh, I'm sorry if I'm forgetting. Oh, my brother Russ. My brother Russ shot a really nice buck. His wife, Jess, she shot a nice buck first day of archery season. 
And I know some other guys that we're really familiar with shot some really nice deer, including Trev over in Ohio this year, shot an absolute stud of a buck. Congrats to him. Go check out the Outdoor Drive podcast. It's a great podcast. Uh, other than that, like I said, I know some guys over at Rutten River. I think Pick. Yeah, Pick just dropped a really nice buck as well. I saw Beaumar Tonic just shot a giant here in Pennsylvania. So there's a lot to be excited about in Pennsylvania this year. A lot coming. I hope we can get back on track for you guys, get on a regular schedule, and make these come out a lot more often. So you probably don't want to hear me talk anymore, at least not to myself or just directly to you. And I will get on with the show. Here is Taylor Chamberlain. All right, boys and girls, welcome back to the podcast. We have a super special guest tonight, a big fan of Austin and I's. Huh? We're big fans of this guy. Yes, sir. Buddy hunts urban deer. If you haven't heard of Taylor Chamberlain by now, you're completely missing out. He goes by the Urban Bowman on Instagram, but he is the ultimate urban sportsman. Taylor, what's going on, man? What's up, guys? Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, dude. Absolutely. We've been waiting for this one for a while. We've been talking about it. Finally, I was like, you know what, Austin? I'll make you happy. I'll just reach out to the guy, and we'll get him on, okay? <laughs> get off my back. Get off my back. That's beautiful. I'm, I'm glad you're on, man. Super, super excited about it. So we kind of introduced you as the, the urban guy. Why don't you get into it right off the bat and kind of introduce yourself, and, and anybody that doesn't know who you are, just kind of fill them in if you don't mind. Yeah. So my name is Taylor Chamberlain. I live right outside of Washington, D.C. I live in the suburbs of Northern Virginia. For anybody that doesn't know, we have a crazy overpopulation of white-tailed deer here, which is not good for the white-tailed deer, but it is great for me because we have a year-round deer season. Uh, so I literally am able to hunt deer 365 days a year. And, you know, I personally hunt well over 200 days a year. And, you know, we have unlimited harvest. So I dull a lot of broadheads a year and uh, get to spend, you know, literally thousands of hours in a tree and really could not be happier doing that. So it's a pretty sweet opportunity to have in a area where you wouldn't think that you would have a ton of hunting opportunities. You actually have, have a boatload. Oh man, I'm super jealous to be honest. Hunting 200 days a year in unlimited tags, that, that's could, the dream. Man. Could you imagine that? No. Not, no, not I my wife. <laughs> <laughs> and we talked about this before. You also have two young children in the house and you're out more than half the year chasing whitetail because it's just what you love, man. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, definitely borders on like addiction, right? But I just, I love the pursuit of whitetail. It's just, it's part of my, my daily routine. You know, it's part of my family's routine. My my wife is not a hunter by any means, but, you know, my, my daughters and I, well, my one daughter is like six weeks old, so she's not coming scouting with daddy, but my, my <laughs> other daughter does come scouting with me or checking trail cameras or whatever. We just kind of make it like fun activities in the woods. She has a blast. I actually just taught her the hand signals for buck or doe. So when we're in the woods and we, we see deer, I can like look back at her and ask if it's a buck or a doe and <laughs> creating the ultimate little killer here. So stay oh, tuned. That's <laughs> we'll awesome. See how it works out. How many months until she's in a phantom saddle? That's all I want to know. <laughs> she has already been in a saddle. Oh. Born in one. <laughs> she was, she she was, was delivered. She's in a saddle, man. That's how we roll. 
she's in the death diaper already, man. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> that is great. That is great. We yeah. shouldn't give away your secrets though, because there's some crazy PA hunters that'll probably like move out to the DC area just for that opportunity to hunt all year. Like I could see that happening. You know what? Hell, I might do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I um, as more and more people kind of like tune into uh, what I've been doing and, and what some of these other like urban guys are doing. I see more people popping up kind of like, you know, there are groups that I hunt with here and guys will like try to come over and hunt like your stands or where you're hunting. Cause they think that's some like magical spot. It's like, dude, come on. It's not like exactly where you're hunting. Of course that has something to do with it, but also, you know, how you're accessing a spot and you know, the time that you're hunting it, all that. So yeah, but it's good. I mean, we need about a billion more of me in this area to help help thin the deer herd out because it's just it's so insanely overpopulated you know i used to work very closely with our former uh, wildlife biologist in this area who's a buddy of mine he has since moved to montana cool. uh, yeah where he's working for the dnr there so he did a great move for himself but I remember we were chatting one time and he had just gotten the results back from the, the latest deer density survey. And we had a long talk about it, but basically this area's carrying capacity should be in the 10 to 12 deer per square mile range. And when they did the deer cert, uh, study, they could not get an accurate number of how many deer there were because it just looked like he had kicked the anthill uh, with the infrared camera. And it, their best guess was 420 Holy to 425 shit. deer per square mile. Oh, my gosh, man. You blew us out of the water. I thought we were heavy with, like, 30. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 34 it's crazy, right? Like, damn. In, like, the dead of winter when there's no vegetation, there's no browse, yeah. uh, you get a little bit of snow. Like, you might see 40, 50 deer uh, on a sit. Now, that's not normal, right? Like, it's not like you're just watching Noah's sure. Arts. Yeah. Doors kick open every time you sit in the woods, but... If you're kind of like, if you're kind of like in the right spot or where there is some food, every deer that's remotely close is going to be on that and it's a feeding frenzy. Oh man, I can only imagine. How many arrows are you taking in the woods? A dozen? Two dozen? <laughs> so I, uh, I stopped shooting at four deer. I found that after four, the blood trails really tend to like start making you work in circles. You'll start, uh, start working back on them. So after I shoot four, I'm done. Oh man. Yeah. That's, that's unheard of around here. Shooting four deer in one sit. That's like, that'd be really hard to do. Oh man. Like really hard to do. Yeah. That'd be tough. <laughs> Especially because, I mean, we're limited here. You know, we don't have unlimited. I mean, unless you're in 2B. That's probably the only place you could do it. 2B, around, 5C, 5D. Yeah, around us, I guess 2B is around Pittsburgh area, Allegheny County. That's the only place you could do it because we have like rules here, Taylor, where when you shoot your first deer, you actually have to get down, recover that animal, correct? Yep. And then you can get back up in the stand and shoot your second deer. So you have to actually pursue the first one before you can shoot the second one. But I believe on 2B special regulation, you can shoot as many as you want out of the stand before pursuing them. So I'm pretty I sure. You I don't check, know. check me on that, but I read it. I'm pretty sure I read that last year. Check your regs. Yeah. Don't, don't let me give you the information that puts you in uh deer prison. <laughs> but <laughs> or anyway. a real prison. Yeah. Or real prison. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I guess that's from like a wanton waste standpoint. Yeah. For, absolutely. Yeah, 
limited things. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. That makes all the sense in the world, right? But yeah, I mean, fortunately for the hunter, I guess, unfortunately for the, you know, ecological kind of standings, you know, we have just so many deer. They're, they're basically like, yes, please kill them all. Mm-hmm. We have the, the only, you know, tech, we, we have like seasons that come in and out. Obviously we can only shoot antlerless deer for the majority of the year. Uh, our antler season runs from, the first weekend in October through first weekend in January. But, you know, outside of that, the analyst only really stops because the DNR doesn't want to, like, really just come out and say, yes, you can kill babies and fawns and stuff sure. as well. Yeah. But even then, in certain pockets and area, we're able to continue hunting. And it's just, it's pretty wild. I mean, like, when you're hunting in July and August, it can get brutal out there. Yeah. I, mean, I have to have a cooler on the ready in my truck. And I take those, like, Deer Park, I think they're one and a half gallons. They're a cylinder those fit yeah, perfectly in a deer's chest cavity and so i'll <laughs> freeze those and uh you know i'll whack a bunch of deer and i'll quarter them up or uh just you know throw them in i have like a giant cooler in the back of my truck bed and i'll just throw the deer in the cooler and throw those water jugs inside the chest cavity and like start cooling them down but like when you shoot them you need to get down and get on them right away because otherwise yeah, I didn't think that about that. It's just brutal. Yeah. Absolutely. But that is a, that's a serious pro tip that I think I might throw in my arsenal this year because our starting of the season, it can be pretty warm. And that's something that we do have to worry about. But the, the Deer Park cylinder bottles, man, it's a pro tip, man. That's a good call. Yeah, they're off. I highly recommend just like, you know, throwing three or four of them in your, in a cooler. I mean, even if it's like a smaller Yeti, but you can get them, get that chest cavity in there and get them in there. And, I mean, that way the, you know, the inner loins and all those are unaffected. Yeah, no, that's solid. So one thing I'm kind of curious about, you know, you are hunting in a suburban area and houses are really close together, you know, what's kind of, I don't want you to give your secrets away a hundred percent, you know, you can give them to us off the air, but you know, <laughs> what, how are you getting all this permission? It's kind of like my question. Yeah. So, I mean, it really depends on the property and the people. When I first started urban hunting, I, <laughs> I kept driving. So long story short, I lived when I went to college in the mountains. I do not come from a hunting family at all. I taught myself how to hunt when I was in college and fell in love with it. When I came back to Northern Virginia from school, I was really bummed out because my family business is here and, you know, obviously I want to be around my family and all my brothers, but this area like really sucked for what I wanted to be doing, which was hunting deer and being you know, out in the wilderness. And so I found this military base where I was able to bow hunt still and it's, you know, giant base. And I was like, all right, well, this is cool. And I remember driving, it was only like 30 minutes south of where I live, but obviously in the DC area, traffic can just be brutal. And so there'd be times where like one leg of that commute could be over three hours. Ooh, I vividly remember driving through neighborhoods and, and seeing deer everywhere, but not seeing anything on this military base or seeing very few deer. At one point I was like, man, why am I driving past deer to go find deer? You know, like the deer in the neighborhoods. I need to figure out how to hunt these neighborhoods. Yeah. My grandmother was playing bridge with all her girlfriends. <laughs> and I had her ask all of her girlfriends, which all had these like big mansions and 
you know, elderly people's homes. And uh, so I got permission on a handful of my grandma's friend's properties and uh, started whacking deer. My whole thing is, is kind of like business where like I, I work in real estate and a lot of real estate sales is referral based business. And so basically I tell all my homeowners who get to know me and love me and think I'm doing a great job that, Hey, tell your friends, you know, if you hear anyone talking about deer management stuff, please throw my name in the ring. Yeah. And so that was, geez, 12 years ago. This will be the 13th <laughs> wow. year. Not a day goes by now that I don't get a phone call from a property owner begging me to come hunt their property. Yeah. So you got like three or four properties now, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I have approximately seven trees I can pick from every morning. But yes, yeah, so, I mean, I probably have forgotten about more properties than some people that will, will ever sign on. And I don't mean that like an arrogant way. I just, I'm, I'm that dumb that I did not write a lot of properties down at first, but. Thank God for Onyx now, because now I have a system for like dropping pins. And, yeah. You know, for anybody listening that's like taking notes, like uh, I, I obviously am like this weird outlier here because of where I live and, and all these things. But when you talk to a property owner, even if they don't let you hunt there, like figure out their name, what their spouse's name is, what their kids' names are. And, and not in a creepy way. You know, what are their what are their dogs' names, right? You don't have to roll in there like Columbo, but when you're talking to them and the dog runs out, you're like, oh, you know, what's Fido's name? And like, oh, you know, whatever, Darth Vader. And you're like, okay, Darth Vader, nice to meet you, man. But you know, I'm taking taking notes of all that stuff, and so maybe a year later, I'll drop in on that property or on the property and be like, hey, Mrs. Smith, how you doing? Like, how's your son Jack? How's he like? You know, playing lacrosse at, at UPenn, and then. Like, oh, how's Darth Vader doing? And <laughs> when when you start, like, when you roll up and you see somebody that is presentable and, you know, they they know that you're, like, kind of one of them and you remembered stuff about them, they feel this instant personal connection and they just will tend to. I, I've never had somebody that I went back to and I had those those little notes stored in my Onyx that didn't give me permission the, the second time I asked. and. I don't know. I, I just think that little things like that go a long way. I mean, I remember I'll put down people's names, their dogs' names, and I might like send them a, you know, a ham for Christmas or a gift for Hanukkah or whatever I can do to not be offensive in this day and age, but still be thankful. And yeah, uh, you know, it, good it, luck. Yeah. <laughs> um, but at the same time, it's kind of important to to not say thank you to them. Okay. And, and I think it's it's kind of important that they don't know that what you're doing for them or that, that what they're doing for you rather is like a favor, right? Okay, so you're trying to twist it, basically make it as if you're doing them a favor. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and I I am. I'm doing work yeah. for them for free. I'm removing a nuisance from their yard. Like absolutely. Is, is somebody going to come to their house and like get rid of all the mice for free? Hell no. Um, you know, okay. and, and that's basically what I'm doing is except I'm shooting the rats in your backyard. And it just so happens that those rats are the most delicious rats on stilts. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cause they're but, eating uh, Mrs. Smith's flowers and they're exactly. rubbing on their pretty ornamental trees. And, and you know, in our area, nobody, nobody I've ever met. Uh, so I have like well over a thousand trees that I can climb within a 10 minute drive of my house. Oh my gosh. And yeah, 
I'm amazed and, there's that um, many trees within a 10 minute. Oh, <laughs> 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 well, I guess if you cl- if you also count the playgrounds as well. Yeah, yeah. In the garage roof. trees or uh, or playgrounds, but you know, it's important that that you're you're not saying like, "Hey, thank you so much. This really means the world to me." Because then they're like, "Oh, well, guess what? That tree fell down, and that needs to be cut up." And mm. uh, oh, you know, like we'd really enjoy some help around you know, some time of year. And, and Grant, like, I'm more than happy to help out. And you know, I consider all of the the property owners whose properties I hunt on. I call them all clients because they are clients. Like, I'm providing a a service for them, but it's important to remember that you are providing a service, and not only should you, you know, make sure they know that you're providing a free service, but, you know, that's how you should act anytime you're interacting with them or shooting deer or whatever. I mean, it's, it's a, it's your kind of your duty to represent bow hunters well and ethically. Cause I can't tell you how many homeowners that I hunt on their property of that after they've gotten to know me and like we've had conversations or they'll be like, you know, you're not what I expected. I get that all the time. I'm like, well, what do you mean by that? And they're like, well, you're just like, you're not what I thought you would be like. And what yeah. they're saying is like, you're not some redneck who's crushing Bud Heavy, like <laughs> shooting deer out of the back of your truck bed, like Elmer Fudd. But they just, that's their like stereotype of a hunter. And they've never really met many hunters, if any, before. And so right. I'm the first dude that they've met that like will wake up at four o'clock in the morning, go climb a tree in the backyard and shoot deer. And they are all kind of like blown away by that. And so it's important for everybody out there that's doing it just to realize and remember, like you might be the only dude and granted your guys area is a a little different Mm -hmm. in that you guys have such a strong hunting heritage, uh, which is awesome. But you know, anybody else out there around the country, if you're kind of like breaking into this urban hunting stuff, you know, remember that you're kind of like representing all hunters when you're knocking on doors and talking to people. You know, I guess I, I, I don't want to speak for everybody, but, you know, I feel like most of the people that I know that, that hunt, and me especially, I've never really thought of it that way as almost like a business transaction. You know, they're, they're clients and you're doing them a favor. I mean, I feel like most of the time when I've got permission from a landowner, I'm just like super thankful. Yeah. And, you know, I've lost some properties and it kind of makes me wonder now, to your point, like if I should have treated it more like a, like a client base. Rather than yeah, just I mean, like I, being super appreciative and, you know, I, I, I'd send like Christmas cards and stuff like that to him and whatnot too, but I feel like I'm, maybe I went a little overboard, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it's, I mean, it's different based on where you live, right? Yeah. And if you have like a ton of competition, which I'm sure you guys do. We do. You, you need to, you need to act differently because you need to, you know, show thanks and like beat out the competition, if you will, to retain your, your spot at the top. Right. Of, yeah. Being able to, you know, lease or just have permission. But, you know, for me, by getting that referral to the client, you're already kind of like at the top, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's, you have this like referral mindset in anything where like, let's say I was going to Pittsburgh and I said, Hey guys, like I'm driving to Pittsburgh. Where should I stop and eat? You guys are like, Oh, you got to go to Permani Brothers, right? It's all name I'm, drop. <laughs> <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm like, okay, cool. And then I'm not going to Google it or anything. Like, if I'm driving to Pittsburgh, I'm stopping for anybody. Sure. Because you told me, and I trust your opinion, as opposed to like some Yelp review or some some flyer I get in the mailbox. It's like, oh, come try like Tony and Joe's pizza, right? And so that referral mindset already kind of gets you at the top of 
of their mind because their friend or somebody that in the community that they've valued the opinion of has already told them about you and how great of a job you did, blah, blah, blah. But that goes back to treating them like clients and, and, you know, being cordial and appropriate. And one of the main things that's very important to think about in an urban setting is can you leave the entrails of the deer on this property? So just to set the scene, like the majority of properties that I'm hunting are a quarter acre to a half acre, maybe three quarters of an acre. And if they have only two trees on their property that I can hunt and I leave the entrails of two mega does like down in the <laughs> corner of their woods and their little dog comes yeah, Darth Vader's over there and rolls around in the gut pile, like oh. how long do you think my permission is going to last there? Right. Right. So little things like that make a big difference in, in like how you, you know, you ask the homeowner, can I leave entrails here? What's your Wi-Fi password? You know, like, <laughs> the important things of, uh, of, of just making sure that they're very happy with, with you being there. Yeah. I would say the number one thing around here, and it is, it's definitely different. I, I don't think Austin's wrong. You definitely want to be very kind to people here, but I think also the biggest thing you can do is be respectful of their property and re- be respectful of their wishes because up here, it doesn't take much because you know, like you said, there is a lot of competition. So there's a lot of people that hunt around here. And there's also some people aren't the best characters. And like you're saying, they represent everybody. So it takes one bad apple sometimes to ruin an entire property. And it can ruin it for everybody forever. So being respectful to the property that you're on and being respectful to that landowner and what their wishes are, like you're saying with picking up the entrails, which would completely suck. I just thought about that. Like that would suck. Do you just hunt with garbage bags in your saddle? Like, how do you do it? Yeah, not not in my saddle. So I have, like, my kill kit in the truck. Okay. Um, one of the benefits of only having to walk about 40 yards from the truck to <laughs> the I didn't tree. think of that. <laughs> so, <laughs> I didn't think of that. Um, so I have, like, my full-on kill kit. In my kill kit, I have contracted bags, uh, trash bags. Yeah. Uh, I used to use body bags because, obviously, <laughs> a body bag is designed to like throw a body weight of a human into wherever. So uh, their body bags are awesome. They hold blood in them. They have these really nice like gel wrapped handles, but little pro tip for everybody out there. If you are a six foot two bearded dude walking through the woods at night, dragging a body bag, <laughs> the police are going to get called and they will not be friendly when they roll up. So body bag situation got squashed pretty quickly. Yeah. Pro tip, pro tip, man. Yeah. Oh. So, so yeah, the uh, contractor bags are awesome. You just kind of throw the entrails in there and, and take them home with you. Okay. So do you, you do then actually gut the animal on site just to get the guts out to, so they're not rotting inside the body cavity and, and so you can transport the deer. So you throw the deer in the cooler or something and then throw the entrails in the bag. Yeah. I mean, it, it depends on like on where I'm hunting, time of year, what the yeah, visibility is like around there. I mean, you know, some properties I hunt are near school. I'm not going to like start cutting on a deer right behind the, the baseball diamond, you know? <laughs> yeah. So it's just all about kind of optics of what's around you, all that. But yeah, if, if assuming there aren't any like weird restrictions or anything, I will field dress the animal there. I will, uh, throw the entrails in a, in a bag and then drag her out, throw in the truck, take her home and turn her into yummy steaks. <laughs> So I got to ask it then, 
how has 2020 been for you? So with the whole COVID thing going on, I know Northern Virginia, we actually have a company up that way. They got hit pretty hard. That area got hit pretty hard. How has that affected your hunting and some of your permission? Have you actually like lost properties and lost permission on certain properties? Or is it just dearer or bigger issue than COVID? Never in my life have I had the police called on me more yeah. than the first couple months of the COVID stay at home order. Yeah. And it's because, well, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it's because of a couple things. I think it's because there are a lot of people that were home that normally weren't. Right. I was walking right. out of the woods and all of a sudden they're like, who is that dude and what the hell is going on? <laughs> um, and I think generally people were just like a little more on edge than, than they normally would have been. But there was a four hunt streak in a row that police officers came out and, and interacted with me getting back to my truck. Wow. Yeah. That sucks, man. Yeah. Although it was awesome. The, the last two cops that came out, uh, were fans of my YouTube channel, which is pretty <laughs> awesome. And, one yes. lady was like, one of the female officers was like, my boyfriend will never believe I met you and like took a selfie with me and then rolled out. So that was cool. Um, <laughs> Shout out to the Hunt Urban page. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Although the, the first police officer that interacted with us like came out with his gun drawn and was like Jeez. screaming at us. That was a little odd. <laughs> um, yeah. So I was hunting with a buddy of mine and, uh, I, this cop like didn't know where he was and thought that we were on this like public property and we were on a private property, obviously. Uh, so he took it upon himself to enter that private property with his patrol rifle. And, oh yeah. And no backup. <laughs> <laughs> and like, it was just a shit show. But, uh, fortunately we got that all sorted out, but it's just like, dude, what are you doing? Like, yeah. why are you here? Put your gun down. Like you, <laughs> you didn't just intercept some like amazing drug cartel running stuff. Like we're dudes hunting. <laughs> you know, like like you're not getting a medal for this. You're gonna get yelled at by your captain. Yeah, <laughs> that sucks. That does suck. It, that sucks. It was like freaking prime time. The dude comes like walking right down the hill where the deer were gonna come from, and I'm like, what is that? Oh, what? What? No, no, no! Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Yeah, I would definitely attribute that to more people yeah. being home and people were nosy too. I mean, I know I, I never stopped working through this whole thing. So the stay at home and everything, it didn't matter. And I work for a landscaping company and our guys out in the trucks and stuff, they would get cops called on them regularly and get stopped because they didn't understand that cutting grass was something that you have to keep doing. Like that was essential business. Or else you would have nine foot grass in your front yard and wild animals running around. So <laughs> yeah, it, it got weird, man. It got weird for those couple months. And I, what, first off, what's, when's the rut for you? And how I, that's a whole nother question I had to go to. So how is the rut? If, I'm going to take 180 here. How does the rut, like, how is that affected in your area with that many deer? Is there ever a real like heavy rutting time of year? Yeah. So we do. I mean, we have our like, are very so first of all we don't have a ton of like trophy bucks so i'm not like lee and drew down in atlanta if you guys are familiar with the yep. seek one guys those yep. Are, yep. Know, killing 200 some like, deer yeah, yeah like you know i got lee texting me pictures all day long and he's like 180s that he's passing and i'm like hey, damn dude like let me get down on that man like if i have a <laughs> like a 140 plus i'm like jumping around doing jumping jacks 
Um, <laughs> we, we don't have the genetics that, that Lee and Drew have, but I think part of that's because we just have like no brows down in Atlanta. They have all that kudzu and, and mm-hmm. different, like very high protein invasive species that grow great. Yeah. We don't have that here. We, we have like, if we have a decent white oak crop, deer get just pound on white oak. Other than that, they're literally eating crap. It'd be like if you lived off Taco Bell all day long. You know, they, they just, they aren't able to get huge. We occasionally will get like the, you know, 150, 160 plus, like, you know, big deer that just has great genetics. But for every one of those, we have 400 does and we have, you know, a bunch of scrub rack dumpy bucks that are like eight years old, right? And just <laughs> praying to dear God that they can get hit by a car. So, um, <laughs> you know, they, the rut is interesting. So we get, you know, tons of seeking, uh, very like standard, uh, late October, kind of early November, like October or November 6th through the 9th is like peak chasing phase around here. The woods will just go absolutely wild. But after that, we have very intense second, third, and sometimes even a fourth rut, depending on how the weather is. Okay. And okay. as long as we don't have like brutal, brutal, brutal cold weather to where mm-hmm. in like, you know, January, February, I've seen deer still chasing in February. Oh man. Um, well, it's just because what happens is those, you know, those does will continue to cycle. And I'm sure that, you know, I'm sure I'm wrong. I'm sure somebody out there is like, no, no, this guy's an idiot. But, um, <laughs> You know, in my experience, this deer will continue to cycle, I think, up to four times. Somebody leave a comment below and correct me where I'm wrong. But, like, you know, and, and so when those deer are in heat, the buck's going to walk by and be like, hell yeah. You know, it's basically ladies' night or ladies' drink free night at the bar. And so they're <laughs> yeah. just going wild. So, uh and then I think what happens is, you know, I've seen deer dropping fawns as late as August. Oh, so man. We, and then I think those does will cycle later and it just kind of gets more and more like jacked up. So to answer your question, we have a, a freaking awesome rut in November, but then it, it'll kind of continue to pop off every 28 days after you see those chasing days, uh, which is really kind of cool. Yeah. That's kind of where my question came from. Cause I was thinking like that time frame, that February, March, you might still be into like some pretty good action going on because there's that many deer. I'm, I think I'm on the same page as you here. There's that many deer. They're not all getting bred. No way. You know, and then they're going to miss their cycle and then they're going to cycle back in 28 days and then they might get bred, but then the fawns are going to cycle in 28 days. And then, you know, it's like a never ending just circle of breeding that goes on for, you know, four months, five months at a time. Yeah. I mean, I think it, I think it's, I think it stops at some point where they're like coming into heat. I think they stop after a certain number of cycles. And again, I could be very wrong on that, but I mean, I vividly remember a couple hunts where I think it was like two years ago in February, I was hunting getting some uh, reps in with some new product. And I was with a buddy of mine and I looked at him. And I was like, did you hear that? That sounded like a grunt. And he was like, what are you retarded? <laughs> and as soon as he said that, it's like hammer, like, mid 140s eight pointer comes busting up out of this creek just grunting his face off wow. and uh running this poor little yearling doe that was like no 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 no, no. <laughs> uh, like running away and i looked at him i was like holy shit you know what i mean like i was so caught off guard 
when I heard that, I'm like, there's no way that was a run, you know, and his response let me know what he thought of it, but um, <laughs> I blame him for, for me not having my bow in my hand, because if he wasn't in that tree, I probably would have grabbed my bow, yeah. and then not been able to shoot the deer that was running by after the hot young lady, so whatever. That is absolutely awesome, man. So one thing I'm kind of curious about, you know, you have a million and a half properties that you can hunt, and you can hunt year-round. I'm sure you kind of switch off properties on and off when the deer are there and whatnot, but What's your kind of, what's your setup kind of look like? What kind of equipment are you using since you have so many properties? Are you making any permanent sets anywhere, like your honey holes, or you just kind of mobile hunting every single set? So I used to, I used to have probably like a 30% permanent setup to 70% mobile. I, I forget how many sets of like those semi permanent ladder like metal stand uh sections like the climbing sticks i used to have yeah i literally sold an entire garage full of them like three years ago on facebook marketplace i am 100 percent mobile now awesome i do that for a handful of different reasons so uh i'm a saddle hunter for anybody that doesn't know i'm a huge huge fan of the saddle i got into saddle hunting because of urban hunting just because i needed a way to hunt all these different spots and I needed the most versatile option that I had. There might be only two or three trees like total on some of the properties that I'm hunting. And if one is four inches in diameter and one is 40, you know, I need to be able to hunt those trees and I, I wasn't able to get in them, uh, with anything other than a saddle. So, uh, I started hunting from saddle. I had a lot of permanent. Or like semi-permanent locations. And then I was like, you know what? F this because the deer, the deer know when they walk by like that tree over there. And let's see, the last time we walked by, there were four of us and now there are <laughs> two of us. <laughs> you know, like they kind of start figuring that out pretty quickly. So I really like to bounce around. I might shoot the deer at the exact same kill spot, but I'm going to shoot them from. You know, like if we're looking at a, at a clock, I might shoot him from the tree that's at one o'clock and I might hunt and kill from the tree that's at nine o'clock and then the tree that's at five o'clock and then the tree at 11 o'clock. And so then they're just like, what the hell? We're going to get out of here all together. Pure ambush. <laughs> and then, you know, you've killed five or six of them and then you wait maybe a month or two weeks or whatever it's going to take for those deer to circle back in there and then the process starts again. So. I like to be mobile because I like to be able to pick those trees. I also don't like the thought of somebody messing with my gear. Uh, we have a lot of like anti hunters around here. Okay. A lot of, you know, just people trespassing, high school kids doing high school things and creek beds, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, so I just don't need to leave my, my sticks up kind of inviting people. And also like, you know, let's say I have permission on a property and then, and this goes back to the permission thing. It's really important once you get permission on a property, not to just be like, okay, thanks, goodbye and just roll out. Yeah. Right? Uh, you need to ask some really important questions that also shows like the level of proficiency that you have. So I'm always asking, what are the logistics of me hunting here? Like, do you want me to let you know I'm coming ahead of time or do you show up? And everybody always wants the answer of just show up. 
But sometimes let me know ahead of time is actually a better answer because you can start building rapport with that client, right? Yeah. And literally just like texting is, is a godsend. Then you tell them like, okay, here's how I operate. And I'm just kind of like, you know, giving you the cliff notes, but basically like, here's how I operate. You know, when you start seeing deer, please let me know. And you can either text me, call me, send me your freaking carrier pigeon, like whatever. Just <laughs> let me know that you're seeing deer and when and where you're seeing them. Because the homeowners, they know when the deer are there and they don't care. They're like, they're not going to lie to you. They're not messing with you. They're not competing with you. They, they're talking to you because they want the deer killed. Right. So, you know, they'll be like, they're here by the, the koi pond hmm. every night at 430. Well, you better be set up over that koi pond the next evening at 4.30 or whenever they're telling you that they're seeing deer because, you know, the, the homeowner is always right. But then tell them, okay, when you're seeing deer, I will come out and hunt. Uh, it's best if I am the only one hunting here. Otherwise, the deer might get spooked off and not harvested. And that could be an issue for my success. And what you're trying to say is like, hey, dude, you gave me permission. Don't just give everybody that knocks on the door permission now because you've decided that you want people hunting here. Right. Um, and, and that's important because, again, like we talked about, a lot of these people aren't hunters. They might not know yeah. like what's standard operating procedure for a hunter. And then if they've decided well, we're going to let one guy in here. Then they're like, well, three's better than one. Mm-hmm. And then next thing you know, you might have some dude like hunting out of your set. <laughs> it brings me back to my original thing is like, that's why I'm mobile all the time is, you know, in the event that a homeowner gives somebody else permission, well, I don't want people hunting from the trees that I'm hunting from because there's nothing worse in the world, as far as I'm concerned, than having deer work into where you're hunting and look up at the tree that you're in because some other jabroni like blew a hunt from there. And now the deer know that that's a, a spot that is potentially dangerous. Yeah. I, I have this same problem kind of with one of the properties that I hunt. He, he's not really a hunter, but he doesn't like deer and he wants them all dead and gone. So he lets pretty much anyone hunt there. And it's not in the property. It's not sun. It's not set up for more than two maybe three hunters at the most but the problem is when you get all these guys on there and they just pretty much turn the deer nocturnal and those deer are still coming back and eating your crops yeah they're just doing it at night so you're not really helping yourself out because you don't get it like these other hunters aren't harvesting deer they're just educating deer and that's what makes it tough and that that's the worst deer to try and hunt is an educated deer that that now you know those are the hardest deer to kill. I have a, a doe that I almost mounted because she was the smartest doe I've ever hunted in my life. My <laughs> buddy uh, shot her, like, kind of through the, the tenderloins, if you will, like, shot her high Ooh. on a hunt. And then he proceeded to hunt this ladder stand over and over and over again. And this doe would blow from, like, two counties away when he was sitting on <laughs> that stand. I mean, and I kept being like, dude, you can't hunt there anymore. Like, she's figured that out, right? He's like, no, no, I'm going to kill her. And so finally, I was like, I got to kill this doe because she is ruining our, our hunting here. I, t- I climbed the ladder stand that he shot her from 
and then climbed two more sticks up on the backside of this tree and hung there in my saddle. And I saw that doe. She came in and for an hour and 45 minutes, she, she did that stomp and head bob <laughs> thing looking at, at uh, my buddy's ladder stand. And finally I shot her and was like elated. It was the <laughs> greatest kill of my life. That freaking <laughs> doe was so smart. It was unreal. And so, yeah, I mean, educated deer are a serious problem. And, yeah. uh, I try to reduce educating as many as possible and try to keep them guessing. And I found that, that staying mobile and being as discreet as possible is the best way to go. And I mean, really, like with my saddle system and the way that I climb a tree, it's almost easier for me. I mean, I literally could probably climb a tree in my sleep at this point safely. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. like, it, it's just like, I mean, you've done it so many times. I'd rather just put the sticks on, go bang, 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 bang. And like in less than five minutes, I'm up the tree. Yeah. Okay. So let's go back to the equipment thing. So we talked about your saddle and you've mentioned sticks a few times. So what sticks are you running? I know it sticks. So, so do I. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I run a lot of different sticks. I I um, I do a lot of product testing for different companies. It's kind of uh, uh, I guess a benefit in the fact that they have a guy that hunts 200 plus days a year and is 240 pounds of chewed bubble gum and is also like incredibly analytical and detail oriented. So I'm either like a really good ally or an enemy for. Uh, the company as far as like, Hey, what do you think of this product? Right. So I've hunted with a ton of different sticks. I really like kind of the shorter, like 24 inch stick, I think is ideal. I like to run an eater. Yeah. I think the, um, the B skier stick is great. I've recently spent the last like four months hunting out of, uh, the timber ninja carbon fiber stick. Yeah, buddy. I think that is like phenomenal. I just was down in Kentucky filming a bunch of stuff for First Light, and I used that about a billion times on some of the most awkward-sized trees I've ever hunted in my life. So the the carbon fiber timber ninja stick is great. Uh, And then I've been doing a lot of one-stick climbing. Are you guys familiar with that, with saddle setup? I am familiar with it. I have not tried it myself, though. Yeah, so I'm currently running a stick that we jokingly call the TIE Fighter. It is a... I have to measure what my current step-to-step is on. I think it's like 15 inches. might be like 17 inches. It's really short. Yeah. And the reason is because it's got a three-step aider that hangs off of it. Okay. So you really are never using the top portion of the stick. It's just a kind of like a way for it to sit there. Greg Godfrey... G2 Outdoors did a great video of our buddy Carl uh, describing his climbing method with the one stick climbing on YouTube. And that exact stick is what, what I'm running as well. So that's kind of what I've been playing with lately. I've tried climbing spurs. Those things just basically scare the shit out of me. For <laughs> lack of a better description. Yeah. I was really comfortable with them and I was like, okay, these are great. I always kind of didn't like the thought of what happens if I drop these out of the tree from 25 feet up? Because, sure. you know, you take them off when you're hunting, and if they're off my legs, then they could potentially fall. So I started rappelling down the tree with that, and that was awesome. But, you know, the the tree 
just looks pretty mangled after you've climbed it like five or six times. And some of these trees are like ornamental trees that I'm climbing. And I'm like, oh man, you know, I don't know how badly like Mr. Smith wants to look like his hickory got shot with a shotgun, you know? <laughs> so the one stick has really been a good method for me. I still rappel down. So it can, in three moves, so about what, like three to four minutes, I'm 20 feet off the ground. And, you know, it's silent. There's the stick weighs a pound and a half and it doubles as a platform for quick hunts. So that really is, is pretty tough to beat. But I think the Timber Ninja sticks are the ones that I've been using the most lately. I think those are awesome. If you don't want to spend that much money on them, I think the, the beast gear sticks are like really hard to beat. They do require like a ton of modification though to get them right. So like out of the box, the beast gear sticks kind of suck. <laughs> and that's the cool thing about the Timber Ninja sticks is that they are like ready to go out of the box. They're silent. You don't need to wrap them with stealth strip. You don't have to build them. You know, that, that was kind of a bummer on the beast gear stick, but once you wrap it with some stealth strip, you're good to go. So, yeah. um, and then I think the, the hawk stick, you know, for, for years on saddlehunter.com and some of these other like Facebook saddle groups, we were taking these three step, step hawk heliums and cutting them down and adding aiders on them and get them to like uh, that 20 inch mark. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, so again, like I'm six two, I have like a giant, like really long legs. Uh, so like 24 inches is really pretty simple for me. And I like 24 inches not for getting the extra two inches. Although I think any guy out there would love an extra two inches, but for, for me, <laughs> I just love the, the fact that on my pack, the way that I pack them, I can have one of the standoffs up above my pack and one underneath of it. And so it just packs more, more flush and fluidly. But the Hawk Heliums that they came out with that are the two step version, they basically just copied what everybody had been doing on Saddle Hunter and all these forums for years. Uh, that's a great, like, economical version, you know? Yeah. Not the best stick out there, not the lightest stick, but you can get a four pack for like 130 bucks. And, you know, if you're new to saddle hunting and you don't want to drop four or, you know, $500 on a set of climbing sticks, then, you know, get those and, and you can play around with those. And they work well, they stack well, they're, you know, tough as nails and they climb pretty much any tree. So hard to beat those also. Have you ever used the muddies? Yeah, I'm not a big fan of those. They're, yeah. to me, like, I love the cleat system on the money. Yeah. That's what I'm running on, on my little TIE fighter stick right now for my one stick because that's the easiest way to climb with it. But yeah, I, I don't like how spongy the stick, like the step itself is on the money. Okay. Um, which really is like not that big of a deal, right? But I guess when you're me and you have like 900 climbing sticks in your garage, you can be a picky little diva when it comes to the stick. But I didn't. <laughs> you can be a little petty. The way that the, the <laughs> the teeth are like combined together on those sticks. If one steps down, the other one has to come up. So you get that like little half inch of play. That really doesn't bother me. But like, sometimes I might be climbing a, st a step where like my sticks on like a 15, 20, 30 degree angle on the tree. So 
yeah. you're doing that, and you're 20 feet up, and you're stepping on that downside, and you're like, oh, is the stick moving, or is that... Is this going to hold me? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Today the day. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so the other thing I didn't like about the muddy stick was I didn't like that the the stick was just, like, really heavy, I thought, for what it should be. Yeah. And, for a smaller stick, too. Yeah, they're pretty small. Yeah, and they're only, like, I think, like, 16 or 18 inches step-to-step. So, now, on all those those two-step steps that I run, and granted, I ran the Lone Wolf sticks for years. I mean, like, like probably eight years. Uh, I have a set of Lone Wolf sticks that, I mean, they're just awesome. That's sticks, what I run. But yeah, but running the, the triple, like the 32-inch stick is just kind of a bitch to pack. It you know? really is, man. Agreed. That's why, really I gotta, is. that's why I got away from them. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And I think that with Novix now, I think they brought back the two-stick. They did. Which is fine, yep. but I like having two steps, especially if you're running an aider. Yeah. And so what I'll do is I've made this, like, this aider that I carry with me as I go up the tree. And so I just went to uh, the local climbing store. And I got some cli- climbing weighted braided nylon. So mm. that's 10 times fast. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> you know, just tied a water knot in it. So I knew that I wanted 21 inches from the bottom of my aider to the top. And so I just throw it over the top of the stick. So the weight is resting on the, the back standoff of the top, put my foot in it, step up to the bottom step. I'll take the aider off, throw it around my neck, step up to the top step hang another step and go. And so I can get five and a half feet with every step that I put up. And so that works pretty well. What's that like, like coming down? Oh, it's fine. You just it's, put the aider yeah. there, you it's, step okay. into it and step into it. I, I did the, the only same time thing that, last year. That sucked was, um, I was hunting behind this lady's pool. And, oh God. <laughs> uh, I was sitting there and had this morning hunt, shot a deer and I looked down and I was like, huh, that's weird. I'm like, why is that stick on top of the other one? And I was like, oh shit. And I guess when I was pulling my, my bow up, I like bumped this stick. I kind of, of course, like hindsight's 2020. I'm like, oh, that's what I was tugging on with my pull up rope, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, Idiot. So I like disengaged this stick and it fell down a ways. And so then I had 10 feet between two steps. <laughs> so I just basically like, Jerry rigged a like a double tether system and like slowly started like walking myself down the tree between the two steps and um eventually got down but that was a absolute shit show. Yeah, uh, that's intense. Yeah. So <laughs> and that was part of the reason that I threw a you know repelling device in my bag cuz I was like, okay, well if this ever happens again, I'll be fine. So I'm a I'm like a I'm a really analytical guy and I've always tried to like solve any potential issues that happen when I'm hunting to, to where it, it shouldn't be able to happen again. So yeah, yeah. that's solid. <laughs> now I'm sure this happens to you all the time, but do people just randomly like come outside like neighbors and take pictures of you or come out and conversate with you while you're hunting? So neighbors know, but it's amazing the weird stuff that you see in the tree <laughs> just like because humans you know as a human like we're not afraid of anything in trees so we don't really look up into trees right and so 
that goes for people that might be in a park or people that are trespassing on a property or whatever. I can't tell you how many people I've seen walking through the woods that just will not look up. It, it's unbelievable. So you see a lot of wild stuff, obviously. I see a, I see a lot of weird stuff, yes, but <laughs> never anybody uh, coming in and taking a picture of me. Ah, man, I would have thought that for sure, like, especially in the area. Like, I would have thought some, I won't stereotype, but I would think that some homeowner in that area would, like, come out and just start snapping pictures of the guy hanging from the tree in a saddle because that's <laughs> yeah. not normal <laughs> i i try to be as like discreet as possible but yeah it's you know some i've had some guys like banging pots and pans like trying to scare the deer away yeah man it's just there are a lot of weird people in this yeah. world <laughs> you just you never know we're getting there on time man i don't want to keep you all night and i i appreciate you coming on but we we always like to get a favorite story so I'm sure you have more stories than anyone that we will ever have on the podcast, but we want to know your favorite hunting story if you have just one. Oh, favorite hunting story. Or multiple. I know you probably got thousands. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've been in more yeah, trees man, than mean, anybody. We, I, so, um, you know, I was uh, hunting with a group of guys where we went into a local park and so we were helping the county with some deer management and part of the park's uh, requirements were that they had to notify all the people in like the surrounding neighborhood a couple days before the hunt and so this anti-hunting group got a hold of our notification the county's notification and they decided they were going to come out at sunup on the first day of the hunt and they were going to scare all the deer away and so of course, they didn't realize that hunters get into the woods like an hour before the sun comes up or more. And so I'm sitting in the tree and I hear all these like pots and pans and people chanting. <laughs> and then I see this sea of deer. And I shot a pile of deer that morning along with a bunch of my buddies. And we got down and when it was all said and done. We had shot over 45 deer oh that morning <laughs> uh, between, I think there were like probably 16 or 17 guys there. But these anti-hunters unknowingly did a deer drive for us. <laughs> and they were furious. And there were deer everywhere. Like we, did, It was almost impossible to know like which deer was yours or your buddy Mark's or whatever, you know. So that was kind of a, a fun story of, of karma. and. Just an awesome, awesome morning in the woods to you know help reduce the deer herd. Dude, that is unbelievable. That that might be my new favorite deer story. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, we need I, to uh, recruit some non-hunters uh, one, this way. <laughs> one other one that kind of comes to mind, real quick. Yeah, go ahead. We're, we're tight on time, but so you know, being that I hunt in Northern Virginia and it's a highly populated area, there really aren't any like undeveloped pieces of land. And so what that leaves me with are the kind of like creek bottoms or floodplains or stuff that you couldn't build a house on. And those also tend to be the areas that like high schoolers go and crush beers and, and, you know, I guess white claws now or whatever, um, <laughs> on, like, on like fr- Friday nights, right? Ain't no law with so, the claw, brother. <laughs> yeah, I know, man. I got nothing wrong. But yeah, so. I had this like awesome spot. I was waiting to go there until late October and uh, climb in my tree early on a Saturday morning. I keep hearing this like weird owl 
like wheezing. <laughs> and I'm like, what in the hell is this? It's like a, it's like a retarded owl, you know, it's like making this weird noise. And obviously, like, when it's pitch black out, you're kind of, your mind's playing tricks on you. And the sun came up and I looked about 30 yards, 40 yards from my tree is this like high school football dude wearing his letter jacket, passed out, face down, just snoring up a storm, like just wheezing, right? <laughs> and surrounded by Mad Dog 2020 bottles. You guys oh, ever have yeah. Mad Dog 2020? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Liquid crack. It's what all the homeless guys here drink. <laughs> and uh, so I'm like, you know, God damn it, man. This guy's totally ruined my hunt. I can't believe this kid's passed out in here. I'm kind of like throwing this little pity party in the tree about how, you know, I got up early, the dude's here, and right, like, while I'm, like, like getting all frumpy with myself, I look to my left, and I see a doe with two other deer, like, yearlings with her. And she's, like, maybe 15 yards from me, and she's looking at frat boy Chad, like, wheezing down in the in the leaves also. And I'm able to get my bow and I shot her and she ran towards the dude and spun and turned around and ran about, I don't know, 10 yards and crashed and sprayed him with blood. <laughs> and he like wakes up and he's like, whoa, what's going on, man? And so, um, that was awesome because there's no way I would have gotten shot at that doe if, uh, if old frat boy Chad hadn't been passed out face down. So, unbelievable. <laughs> Never know what you're gonna see in the woods. <laughs> oh man, I love it, man. I that, love it. That is good. That is good. <laughs> oh man, I, <sighs> I've heard that one from you before, and it's one of my favorite. <laughs> and I was glad that you remembered Frat Boy Chad because that's consistent through <laughs> every time I hear it. That is great. That is all time great. But yeah, man, and I I want to tell everyone as well. Your all-time my favorite story ever is on the Chasing Tales podcast. (laughs) (laughs) They need to go listen to that podcast with you on Chasing Tales with our boy Walt. That is by far the best story I will ever hear on a podcast ever. It's my number one favorite. I've listened to it about six times. It is great. Every time I get with new people and we get on like a car ride, I'm like, you got to listen to this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was a rough morning. For sure. Uh, <laughs> definitely defined a whole new level of true love with my wife that morning. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's how you knew she was the one. <laughs> oh, I'm sure man. she was just like, okay, I got to get out of this house. Good <laughs> <laughs> guy, I'm done. <laughs> oh, man. That is good. Oh, man. That is freaking beautiful. Well, yeah. Unfortunately... You know, Austin has to be a dad. I I would sit here forever because I'm just an irresponsible human being. But I, I, you both have small children you have to attend to. So let's, uh, I guess we can wrap this thing up. But before we do, man, if you don't mind letting everyone know where they can find you, where they can find your YouTube channel, uh, your, your multiple Instagram handles, uh, just shout them out, man. Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at uh, Urban Bowman and check me out on YouTube on uh, Hunt Urban, where it's my buddies and I uh, traveling around and doing doing the deer killing thing uh, in the burbs and all the crazy stuff we see uh, along the way. So it's pretty fun. Hell yeah, hell yeah! Thanks again, man. And and if anybody locally has ever seen that show where those those guys, it's completely fake. It's one of the worst shows ever, but. 
there used to be a show where there was urban hunting. Go check out, go check out Taylor because he's doing this for real. It's not like made up fake story crap that they put on TV. And, and you know what? You should be on TV as well. So maybe we'll try to get that whole show brought back, Taylor, and then, and we'll have you be the star for us. How's that sound? <laughs> yeah, we'll see about that. <laughs> Thank you guys very much for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Have Thanks, a great man. night.